Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning? I hope you have your Bibles with you. Hebrews chapter 11. Jesus is better. At some point, you're going to start completing that statement with me. Boldly, right? Jesus is better. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. And the point of the theme as the writer of Hebrews has been making it clear all along the way that Jesus is better is that Jesus can be trusted. He's trying to make this point. He's trying to drive this wonderful truth home that Jesus is better. And because He is, you can rest your whole life on Him. You can trust Him. You can put your faith in Him. And because Jesus can be trusted and you can put your faith in Him, God's Word calls us to trust Him, to put our faith in Him, to rely on Him, to build the foundation of our lives on the foundation that is Christ. That's the emphasis, our faith in Him, our faith in Christ, the One who is better. That's the emphasis of Hebrews 11. By faith, we live the Christian life. Faith which is founded and based in what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Now, one thing I noted briefly last week that I want to be certain you hear clearly today is that while we're seeing faith demonstrated in the lives of these saints of old in Hebrews chapter 11... We are also told by God's Word that these individuals weren't perfect. And if you know your Bible, you know this is true about these individuals. They were not perfect. They were sinners too, like we are. They faced hardships, like we do. They faced difficulty, They faced serious temptations like we do. And so we ought not think that these are examples of people who were perfect. God's Word is not communicating that to us. It's not telling us that because God's Word does not varnish over the truth. It doesn't hide the truth from us. We know that these individuals spoken of in Hebrews 11 were imperfect. They were sinners like we are. They dealt with the same things that we do the same temptations, the same struggles. These were not spiritual giants. But these people are examples of the kind of faith that God expects from all of His children. These people are examples of the kind of faith that God expects from every person who names the name of Christ and says, Jesus is my Savior. This is the kind of growing faith that God desires of all who place their trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I was listening to an interview recently, and pastor and author Sam Storms spoke to this idea about the saints of Hebrews 11 when he said this, Faith as you see it in these Old Testament saints is not a life of pristine purity. It's clinging to God and believing that He is better and more worthy even when, when you fail, even in the face of the most horrific temptation and hardship. It's, it's not pristine purity that we, 
that we walk by faith in pristine purity. No, it's clinging to God. I appreciate that emphasis, that reminder. It's, it's clinging to God. So that's something I want you to keep in mind as we continue our study this morning in Hebrews 11, the faith that's being exhibited here. And this should be an encouragement to you. It encourages me. The faith that is being exhibited here is not the faith that God expects from a select few believers. This is not what God expects from a select few of us who just happen to experience no troubles and face no temptations. The faith we're being shown in the lives of these believers of old is the same faith that God is calling us all to as we place our trust in His Son who became the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. So this same kind of active faith is possible. Just think of that. If God is calling us to this, and the writer of Hebrews is encouraging this in our lives, and this is God-inspired, God inspired the writer of Hebrews to pen these words for us. If God wants this, it's possible. Because Jesus is better. And we can and must put our faith in Him, and through faith in Christ we cling to God and His promises, even when we face horrible temptations. Even as we endure grievous hardship. Even when we face the difficulties that we face every day in this life. The challenges that we face in the culture in which we live. And even when we fail... And we keep our faith in Christ because we believe that Jesus saves, Jesus forgives, and that He is better than all. And He is worthy of our faith. Now this morning as we pick up in Hebrews 11 at verse 8, I want you to look for the following as we learn from verses 8 through 19. We're going to look at these verses 8 through 19 this morning. What faith is for? We're going to see it here. What is faith for? Watch for these two examples that follow from the lives of these believers of old, how by faith they did two things. They obeyed and they endured. They obeyed and they endured. Watch for those things as we as we read. And as we pay attention here, we're going to see that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is better than all. We obey and we endure just as Abraham and Sarah did just as they had faith in God and they obeyed and endured. And then we're going to dig a little deeper into how we obey and endure when we see here that our faith in Jesus as better than all helps us obey and endure by fixing our attention on God's promises and His power. Watch for those things as we read. As God teaches us to trust God, trust Him with anything. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So I want you to note with me first how by faith we obey. Note this. Do you see it there in verse 8? In Abraham's example, it says, it doesn't get any plainer than this, by faith Abraham obeyed. And what God's Word communicates to us here and elsewhere is that belief and obedience go hand in hand. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. People who believe in Jesus obey God's Word. Abraham believed God's promises, and it affected his actions. His faith in God led him to obey God. Your faith in God's promises, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, should compel you to obey God, to obey His Word. And we are called to live a life of obedience By faith, he obeyed. Get this. Abraham obeyed not knowing where he was going. And we're to live a life of obedience like that. That's an example for us. As we look to God, as we look to his word, sometimes the way will not be clear. We know the direction, but we don't know the way. We don't know the the ultimate outcome. But we're to obey without knowing the outcome. Because we know this. We know that God is in control. And if you know God is in control, you can obey without knowing the outcome. We obey without knowing our ultimate outcome as we face any hardship and trial, struggle, or temptation, knowing that God has it under control. God's in charge. And we know that God keeps His promises. In fact, when Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. He's teaching us that with faith in Him, we do know the way to heaven because we know Him. Note here also that by faith Abraham obeyed living as a foreigner. How did he obey? He lived like a nomad, living in tents. The point here is he wasn't looking for his treasure on earth. He wasn't looking for the fulfillment of his life here on earth. He wasn't looking for the highest gain and the highest fulfillment of everything that he hoped to accumulate and accomplish in this life here on earth. And that's evident in the way he obeyed. He didn't look for a permanent dwelling place, but this he chose. He chose to live as a foreigner. And it's seen in the way he lived, by living in tents. Now, we all may have houses that we live in or apartments. We all have, I'm likely speaking to a room full of people who have permanent dwelling places. None of us is likely living in tents, though I do find that sleeping in a tent for a few weeks every summer is great for my perspective when I come home and I can flush, flush, flush. I don't flush one time when I come home from camping. I flush three times every time. It's like, this is great. I can flush. I can turn the water on. I go turn all the lights on in the house and all the fans and things like that. But even though we have houses, even though we have permanent dwelling places, even though we may have an an apartment that's not something we own, we may rent it, we may rent our dwelling place, but it's more like a permanent dwelling place than a tent is, yes? Even though we have those things, and many of us, most of us, if not all of us, have far more than we need, God calls us to live by faith and not fix our attention on those things that we have, those things that we say, these are my possessions. (laughs) It's amazing how fast possessions can disappear or break down. We must always remember what Abraham understood, that this world is not our final home. This world is not our final destination. This world is not the crescendo of our lives, the ultimate goal for us to to aim at or attain. This world is where we are now, yes, And this world is where God intends for us to live now. Yes. But this is also the world that God intends for us to serve Him in. He wants us to serve Him here for His glory, even for our own good, and even especially for the good of others who see Christ in us and ask for the reason that we have hope. We're to be living as people in this world who have an obvious reason for hope and people are just compelled to say, tell me why you're so hopeful. Tell me why you're so different. And I I think we all struggle with this in a way, especially living in this world in which we have almost anything we want. I mean, I just love the fact that I can sit down at my computer and I can, within a few clicks, I can, I can click on something and a guy in a brown suit shows up at my door in two days and hands it to me. That's incredible, right? We can get anything we want. We can, 
go to the, you know, the stores and we can order things and we can work our, our days and we can labor and labor to, to attain something that we have set our eyes on as, as saying, I need this, right? We tend to get caught up in living in this world, thinking about all the things that we need. But have you ever thought carefully about all the things that you don't need? This kind of captured my thinking this week, and I started making a list of things that I don't need. I'm not going to tell you my list, okay? But I am going to encourage you to make a list of your own. You ought to think about the things you don't need. Because what happens is we tend to think about the things that we do need. And we get so caught up in thinking, I need this and I need that. Listen, I struggle with this as much as the next person because I can two clicks and the guy in brown shows up with stuff. (laughs) I struggle with this like everybody else. We need to be thinking about why God has us here. I think it's a good exercise to think about what we don't need. To challenge ourselves to say, you know that thing that I, that I think I need? I don't need that. That's going on my, I don't need that list. I can really live without that. And if I live without that, I might be able to have more time, more energy, more resource to invest in eternal things for God's glory because He has me here for an eternal purpose. Not just for my own fulfillment here on earth. I wonder, I do wonder what might happen in this fellowship of believers if we began thinking more carefully about what we don't need and how we might think about clearing out the clutter of our lives and the busyness of our lives so that we might have more time, more energy, more resources to give to God's kingdom and for eternal purposes. What things are we investing ourselves in that have eternal significance? And I know that many of you in this room are involved in things that have eternal significance, and I praise God for that. But I believe we could all stand to be challenged in this area. And that's the example that we see in Abraham's faith. That he obeyed with his attention fixed on God and not on the world. His gaze was fixed on the eternal and not on the temporal. And we can see that clearly here in verses 13 to 16. It was true of Abraham and all these seen here in this chapter. Note that verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I think that's an incredible statement. That's an incredibly instructive statement. I think it ought to be a convicting statement as we look at our own lives and I want, and we wonder, am I living like that? Do I realize that I am a I'm an exile here. I'm a stranger here in this land. Yes, this is where God put me, but He doesn't want me to think this is my eternal destiny. You see, these people obviously weren't living for what they could receive in this life. And since they saw themselves as strangers and exiles on the earth, they learned to be content with what they had 
They learned to be content with what God had entrusted to their care. They learned to be content with not, get this, and look at verse 13 again, they learned to be content with not receiving in this life what was promised because they knew better than to think that everything that was promised was going to come to them in this life here on earth. They could see that the promise was to be fulfilled in their eternal home. The place where whose builder is God. Verses 14 to 16, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Oh, they're seeking a homeland, all right, but it's not here. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, do you see it? Verse 16, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. J.H. Jowett, a pastor and author who lived from 1864 to 1923, writes that Abraham began his journey without any knowledge of his ultimate destination. He obeyed a noble impulse without any discernment of its consequences. He took one step, and he did not ask to see the distant scene. And that is faith to do God's will here and now, quietly leaving the results to Him. Faith is not concerned with the entire chain. Its devoted attention is fixed upon the immediate link. Faith is not knowledge of a moral process. It is fidelity in a moral act. Faith leaves something to the Lord. It obeys His immediate commandment and leaves to Him direction and destiny. And so faith is accompanied by serenity. You want to know why? And maybe this is true of you right now. Maybe you wonder, why is my life so tumultuous? Why am I in such turmoil? Why am I so beside myself all the time? Where's your faith? Is it in here and now and the things that you can see and touch and call your own? Or have you fixed your eyes on God? Have you staked your claim of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you left something to the Lord, as J.H. Jowett says? I love that. Faith leaves something to the Lord. You cannot control everything. In fact, there's not much you can control. And I love the thought here. This is an important thought. That serenity which Jowett speaks of is only possible in Abraham's life and in our lives as he lived this way and we live with faith leaving the unknown to the Lord. And we know that Abraham did this as we see that Abraham's attention was fixed on the builder who is God.
the heavenly builder who is God. Note it in verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. He says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That is so critical for our lives in this world. We ought to keep our faith in God grounded on the Word of God. We ought to keep our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ grounded in the truths and the promises of God's Word. But we face a challenge. We face a challenge in this world. We face, says pastor and author Dr. Ligon Duncan, what is one of the greatest challenges of the church in our day. He says that the world is in the church and that the church is like the world and that the world is in our hearts and we're not distinct from the world. But I believe that God's, God's Word makes it clear to us that if we keep our eyes on our heavenly builder, if we base our faith on God and on His Word, we will be able to be in this world and yet also be distinct from it. And that's just what the world needs to see. Do you understand that? The world needs to see that we are different and for very good reasons. The world needs to see that by our faith we live and the promises that God has given us in His Word, which makes us very different. We're living a life that's different if we're living a life of faith in God, a faith that is fixed on the promises of God. And that leads to what we see next. Note also that by faith in the one who is greater, we endure. How do we endure? How is it we live different from the world and endure when we suffer? How do we endure when we're receiving ridicule and scorn for our faith? How do we endure when we're grieving an earthly loss? How do we endure when we're deeply challenged by the temptations that we experience when we're tempted to sin and even fail? How do we endure when we finally realize our ultimate fulfillment is not found here in this life? First, by faith we endure by fixing our attention on God's promises. We can see it in the example of Sarah in verse 11. Look at verse 11 again. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered, and here it is, him faithful who had promised. How did she have faith? that she was going to have the child that God promised. She had faith in the promise giver. And I want you to note something very important here. It was Sarah's faith in God that God blessed. It was her faith in God that He blessed. 
giving her the power to conceive even in old age, beyond the age of childbearing. And how did Sarah have faith for this? I take you back to that statement in verse 11. She considered him faithful who had promised. You see, faith is this, keeping your eyes fixed on the promises of God who is faithful to keep His promises. Sarah considered God faithful to keep His promises. Sarah knew that God was a promise keeper. And that's our God. The same God that Sarah trusted is the God we trust. Is the same God who sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for our sins and who rose Him from the dead on the third day. In fact, Jesus is God's ultimate promise kept. Don't ever forget that. If you're wondering if God will be faithful to you, look to Jesus. He is His ultimate promise kept. The Son of God is God's promise kept. And we have a way to forgiveness of sins and eternal life through His Son. But what's more, we also have in Christ what we need now. We have in Christ what we need now. We tend to think of what will be ours in eternity. Eternal life. I face physical death here on earth, but I'll... But, but my body will be a resurrected body one day. And when I die, I'll see my Savior. Praise God. We tend to think of, of the Lord's help in terms of, or the, Lord, the Lord's benefits in terms of, it's something that I, I have to totally wait for at a future time. And we see some of that here in the text where, where these believers in God looked to the promise that they knew was an eternal promise and not a present keeping of the promise here in the flesh. And yet we know this to be true from God's Word, that God gives us in Christ what we need now to live this life. So second, note this, that by faith in the One who is greater, we endure by remembering God's power. God is a powerful God. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can imagine. And the examples of Sarah and Abraham are given for our instruction in this. These are actually incredible examples of God's power. In verse 11, we learn that Sarah conceived how? It says, by faith. By faith. The Scripture is clear. Her her body was legitimately too old to bear children. And yet God said, no, no, trust me. I said you'll have a child. You'll have a child. She conceived by faith. She trusted in God and God honored her faith. She conceived by faith and that is God's power at work. She knew her God was a mighty God and could do all He promised. And we see it here in verses 17 to 19 that Abraham knew that God would bring back his son from the dead if God was requiring him to sacrifice his son to him. 
then God must be planning to bring him back from the dead. And he was willing to trust God in that. And in the lives of both Abraham and Sarah are incredible examples of God's power. And those are just two. Just two among numerous examples from God's Word. And ultimately, though Abraham was given a ram in place of his son as a sacrifice, the picture that we have here is a clear foreshadowing of the one who did die, whose father offered him as a sacrifice, who did die, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place for our sins. In fact, through Abraham and Sarah's line came the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Now there's one more thing that we see here, and it's this, that by faith we learn to trust God with anything. And again, the examples seen in the lives of Sarah and Abraham teach us this clearly. We can trust God with anything. Sarah trusted God. She had faith. She believed in her promise-keeping, life-giving God. And Abraham trusted and had faith in his promise-keeping and life-giving God. And by their examples of faith, we are taught here that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the One who is better than all, We too can trust God with anything. You think about that biggest challenge that you can name, the thing that comes to your mind when you start thinking about your your heartaches or your troubles, the, the thing that troubles you the most. You can trust God with that. Think about the person in in your life who you you maybe you grieve for a, a a relationship in your life, that person is far from the Lord and you can't seem to convince them to trust in Christ, guess who you can trust that person into the hands of? It's your God. You can trust Him with anything. We see that here in the text. And God has put this here for our instruction, for our faith to be strengthened by. So real faith in Christ is seen in its obedience, in its endurance, and in its willingness to trust anything and everything to God, to the hands of the One who is the designer and builder of our heavenly home. Praise God. Praise God.